Uh, and today we're excited to have Ruth Elwood Martin uh, lead us in uh, the sharing of God's word. Uh, Ruth and her husband, Stanley, have been a part of our 10th community for over 10 years with our site over on the west side. Ruth is a recently retired family physician who spent most of her, all of her career in the BC Correctional Facility, um, caring for, for people uh, in, in those centers. Uh, she has written and published two books uh, which share the experience of women in prison, and she's conducted some amazing work in helping to, to use the experience of women in custody uh, to help uh, further and, and improve uh, health experiences for those there. So Ruth, we're excited to have you here as we look at Colossians 3. So would you welcome uh, Ruth Martin? I'm realizing that I hadn't planned on reading all the verses, so I think we'll start off. I'm asking Elvin to read, read the verses to begin. Hey there, we're going to be looking at Colossians 3, uh, beginning in verse 8. But now you must put, away all, put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. Thanks. So thank you, everybody, and thank you, thank you, Alvin, for inviting me. So um, the first verse, uh, when Dan Matheson invited me to speak, I remember feeling quite repulsed when I read this verse. You can see it up there. I don't know if you have the same feelings as I had when you read it. Words like anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from lips and lying. These are not qualities that fill us with joy or cause us to feel closer to God or bring us into worship. Anger, the Greek word translated here, refers to a continual state of smoldering or seething hatred. Rage is anger that breaks out in angry deeds or words. Malice means evil with an intent to hurt someone. Slander is making false and damaging statements about someone. Filthy language from lips refers to abusive, harmful language. Lying is an assertion that is believed to be false, and it's typically used with the purpose of deceiving someone. So these words, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying, fill me with fear. And my tendency is to not want to have anything to do with a person who is spouting this, because their speech and their demeanor signal something of their inequalities that are percolating inside of them. And in fact, when I read this verse, I thought immediately of some people who I met when I was in prison. So as Alvin mentioned, I worked 16 years part-time as a prison physician in federal and provincial correctional institutions in BC. And following this, I worked in the community as a prison health researcher with men and women who had previously been in prison. And so most of us don't actually want to spend time with these people, especially if they've acted on these things and they've committed horrible crimes as a result. However, as I was reflecting on this verse, I realized that there is actually a spectrum here amongst all of us humans with our speech. And some of the people that I met in prison are at one extreme end of that spectrum. But I'm also on that spectrum somewhere because I know that at times I do 
and can express anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language and lying. Um, so I think back to times when I was, for example, really, really angry. It's not a pleasant memory. And the feelings that I had at the time, the feelings of feeling powerless and feeling overwhelmed and feeling injured and feeling hurt and my rage and my anger is just boiling over, it's not something I enjoy thinking about, nor do I feel particularly good about. So Professor of Psychiatry Dan Siegel explains that if you take your thumb and put it in the middle of your palm and put your fingers over the top, that this could represent, the thumb can represent the limbic area of our brain where we experience emotions such as anger. This is like our downstairs brain. And the fingers that cover the limbic part of our brain is the cortex part of our brain that enables us to think and reason and regulate the limbic area of our brain. And this is our upstairs brain. So when we are tired or stressed out and someone pushes our buttons, we can literally flip our lid. If our downstairs brain, the limbic area, keeps firing and firing and firing, it then makes it harder for... Sorry, flip my page here. Upstairs brain to, to regulate what's happening down there. So the downstairs brain erupts, turns off the upstairs brain, and so within two to three seconds, you go from being this kind, reasonable person to flipping your lid and doing or saying things that hurt people. In addition, there's increasing medical evidence that our emotional well-being as adults and our ability to respond to stressful situations was programmed into the limbic part of our brains very early in our childhood. So stressful and traumatic events from way back in our childhood can impact our emotional resilience and our physical health as adults. So I'm thinking about Larry. Larry spent over 30 years in some of the toughest penitentiaries in Canada, and he was involved in a lot of violence. Larry's speech would have been full of rage and anger and malice and slander and lying and filthy language over those 30 years. I got to know Larry about 10 years ago after he'd been released from prison when he came to work with us at UBC on a research project that offered peer health mental support to men as they were being released from prison into the community. So at that time, I was quite keen to add an adverse childhood event, or an ACE, a survey, ACE survey, to the surveys that we invited the men to fill in. And the ACE survey has 10 questions, such as, did you experience or witness violence as a child? Did a family member attempt or die by suicide? Were you often hungry as a child? And then you add up your ACE score based on how many survey questions you answered yes to. So during one of our weekly project team meetings with Larry at UBC, I handed around this ACE survey so that we could pilot it, we could test it out on ourselves um, before we could consider using it in the research with the men who were being released from prison. So we quietly filled in our own survey and then we each calculated our ACE score. There was a long silence and Larry said in a very quiet voice, my ACE score is very, very high. And I think that most incarcerated men would also have very, very high ACE scores. I don't think we should ask men who are being released from prison to fill in this survey unless we have some professional counseling support for men alongside this survey. So as we discussed this ACE survey amongst our research team that day, Larry talked about childhood trauma 
as just being one of many complex traumatic stresses that incarcerated men and women experience. They experience the trauma of violence and the trauma of racism and the trauma of colonization and the trauma of incarceration itself. So now I know that you likely have not spent 30 years in prison like Larry, so Larry's story, story is at the far end of the spectrum and you might not think it relates to you. But I think for each of us, I think we can remember past events in our lives, positive experiences as well as negative traumatic experiences, experiences from our childhood or experiences from our adulthood that contribute to the way that we communicate today. The words that come out of our mouths and our ability to emotionally regulate our speech. And also maybe like me, you can reflect on those communication moments that we're not particularly proud of or happy about when we feel out of control and we said things that we later regretted deeply. So Colossians 3.8 is telling us we must rid ourselves of these things. So I ask two questions. How, how can we do this? And second question is, why must we do this? So how do we rid ourselves of these things, these practices? Well, we can try behavioral modification tools with ourselves and we can gauge others to help us to be accountable. One time, I found I was saying not too often, I was saying a not very nice word, especially when I was driving. It begins with sh and ends with t. <laughs> and at that time, I was planning to set out for a six-week trip with our three teenage sons to drive across Canada, camping along the way, stopping for two weeks French immersion in Quebec, and then driving back south of the border. And this was going to be a very long time to be in a car with three impressionable teenagers. So I fessed up before we started the trip that I was trying to break my habit of using this not very nice word, and I told the boys that every time they heard me use this word, I would buy them a chocolate bar. So, needless to say, they ended up eating a lot of chocolate during that trip. So, and then, you know, we have self-help books, lots of them. I don't know if you find them helpful. I found them very, very helpful. Um, I remember when our, again, when our children were young, I found the parenting stuff just pushed me to the edge time and time again. By the end of the day, I was so disappointed in myself because of the number of times I'd lost my temper yet again. How can these little people whom you love so dearly result in you being pushed to the edge emotionally so many times in a day? So Stanley and I signed up for parenting classes and we dutifully read these self-help parenting books. The ones that taught you to describe your feelings about the action instead of attacking the person personally. So it's, I feel so angry when you dump your supper on the floor instead of, you stupid child, rah, 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 rah. So when the kids were older, they would recognize the signs of mother is about to lose it again, and I'd hear them say to each other, watch out, mum's talking like that parenting book again. <laughs> so, so as I was preparing for this talk, I started to read the book Grateful for the Fight, Using Inner Conflict to Transform Yourself and Your Relationships by Viola Neufeld. I don't know if anybody's read it, but Dan Whitehead um, at 10th has recommended it. I wanted to try and understand what makes us all go there to that fighting place, what triggers it for me and for all of us. 
And in this book, Viola talks about othering, that we fight in reaction to the other, and that if we understand more about the fight process, we'll understand more about ourselves and what we can learn in the situation, and then how handling conflict in the right way actually improves our mental health. So I'd recommend the book. I actually haven't finished it yet, but I think it's, I think it's a good book. So of course, we can find great help with courses and books and support groups and psychologists and counselors. And we learn these tools and it increases our self-knowledge and these can help us along our journey. But regardless, I don't know if you feel like this, despite all these aids, I often feel like I'm failing. I've never quite got it. The behaviors and the tendencies return and I'm never done. But the good news is that Christ is actually calling us to a life that goes beyond all these supports like self-help, books, courses, psychologists. Because in Colossians 3, 9 and 10, it says, you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Oh, it's there, that's great. Which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. This is what it's about. So I'm reminded of a time when Larry arranged for men who were recently released from prison to come to speak about their experiences of prison health with small groups of first-year medical students at UBC. And following one session, two young women medical students asked to see me. They were very concerned. And although they'd learned a great deal from the man who was their guest in their small group, they wanted to report to me that this man was using language like, I want to kill him, and he shouldn't still be alive, when he was describing a correctional officer. And the medical students were very concerned that this formerly incarcerated man intended to harm the correctional officer because of the way that he was speaking. And when I conveyed this to Larry, Larry's response was, oh, he's using jailhouse speak. He doesn't realize the impact of his words. I know that he doesn't mean what he says, and he won't hurt the correctional officer. I will teach him not to use jailhouse speak now that he's been released from prison. He has to learn a new language now that he's on the outside. So just like a person who is released from prison needs to learn a completely new way of speaking, so Paul is telling us that we have taken off our old self with its practices and we've put on the new self. Eugene Peters in the message translates this as like changing clothes. He says, you're done with the old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. So Paul wrote these words while he was sitting in a prison in Rome and he was writing to Christians in the city of Colossae. So as he wrote, I wonder, was Paul thinking of men wearing prison clothes? And when men are released from prison, they take off their prison clothes and they put on new clothes that belong to their new life of freedom. So just like us all, in the morning, we, we have this daily practice of changing into clean clothes. So is the practice of the new self being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. This is ongoing. It's never finished for us. So this is the good news. We have to come to Christ in our failure, in our brokenness, 
in empty, in our dirty clothes, in our, and we have to ask him to, to fill us and to put on our clean new clothes. It's a transcendent, repeated practice. Christ will then renew us in knowledge in the image of our creator. So for me, the weekly rhythm of coming to church and singing, that's why it was so hard in COVID. We come and we fill our heart and soul with worship and song and music. And we come to the communion table and we reflect on the events of the past week. We confess our sins, whether it's anger or rage or malice or slander or lying. We admit our brokenness and we ask Christ to accept us just as we are in our failure we ask him to cleanse us, to renew us, to heal us, and to love us, and to fill us up. And then we ask him to guide us in new ways of reconciliation. This is transcendent. It's divine. It's miraculous, actually. And it's healing. And it goes far beyond any of the self-improvement things that we can try to do on our own. Similarly, when we spend time in silent meditation, or we're out in creation, we're aware of the presence of God, and we can experience that filling up with peace and calm and God's love, and that can free us from anxiety and hurt and the things that fuel our anger. So, you know, the next passage, verses 12 and onwards, which is not what I'm speaking on, tells you more about how you can take off yourself with its practices and put on the new self. And it would be a spoiler for next week's sermon if we went into all of those now. So please do come back next week. It's to be continued. Um, but I would like to talk about one of them now, namely the practice of love. So in Colossians 3.14, it says, put on love, which binds all virtues together in perfect unity. So as Alvin mentioned, as we all know, six days ago, 23rd of May, was the one-year anniversary of the announcement about the discovery of 215 unmarked children's graves at the former Kamloops Indian Residential School of Te Kuloops Shuwepmuk First Nation. If you can remember back to your feelings a year ago, maybe like me, you felt this heartbreaking grief and sorrow and anger and shame for the evils that Christian church members did to indigenous children, and you felt for the pain and the suffering of that indigenous peoples have endured and continue to endure. And also, if you remember, anger and rage was running high, extremely high amongst indigenous peoples, with reason, and several churches in BC were torched or vandalized. Just three weeks later, on June 19th, 2021, Father's Day, Ken Shigematsu had a conversation with Dr. Ray Aldred, who's an indigenous leader and a member of the Cree Nation and a Christian theologian. The conversation was called The Space Between Us, Honor and Respect, and the recording is available on 10th webpage under the tab Sermons. And I've returned to watch that video many times since then. I don't know if any of you had a chance to see it but I encourage you to consider watching it if you haven't seen it already. It's 24 minutes long. So during that conversation, Ken asks Ray, as an indigenous person, what was it like for you personally when you heard this news? And Ray replied, right now, it feels like I'm in a river of grief. Toward the end of the interview, Ken asks Ray, what does it look like to foster peace in that space in between us? 
honor and respect. And Ray says, I think we're on three movements in Canada. Sometimes we do better, sometimes not so good. These are all parts of the movements of restorative justice, which is an attempt at reconciliation. You've got to tell the truth. You've got to listen so you can feel the pain. And then you need to use the energy you gain from listening, the feelings that are trying to give you the energy, the emotional strength, to come up with a shared plan. And then he encourages, he says, that's where 10th Church could play a part, raising awareness and also trying to provide a space where we could think about what does a shared plan look like. We shouldn't grow weary of well-doing. I think that's how it goes in scripture. So now I'll just, I'm going to ask us to actually play um, the very last couple of minutes of Ray's response to Ken's question. What does it look like to foster peace in that space between us, honor and respect? That's the part we're on right now in Canada. We shouldn't grow weary of well-doing. I think that's how it goes in Scripture. And again, it all comes back to Jesus. I think in 1 John it says, you know, we love because he first loved us. So I think Paul Martin asked us one time, there were a bunch of us in Ottawa, Cheryl Bear was there. I think Dean Shingoose was there. Terry LeBlanc. He said, former Prime Minister Paul Martin, devout Catholic, he says, how can you still believe after all the things that have happened? And uh, I think it's because we've experienced the love of Christ. And life is kind of simple that way, I think. You receive the love of Christ and then you love other people. And that's, no one can stop you from doing that. That's, that's the part we're on right now in camp. To me, this is a very powerful illustration of how it is possible for each one of us Christ followers to be renewed in the image of the Creator. At a time when Ray, who has experienced a lifetime of stigma and racism in Canada, and who is now living in a river of grief because of the discovery of unmarked children's graves, he would be completely justified in expressing anger, rage, and malice and slander. But Ray is being renewed in the image of his creator. Ray says this is possible because he has experienced the love of Christ. He receives the love of Christ, and then he loves other people. And Ray says no one can stop him from doing that. So we are all able to love because Christ first loved us. So this leads me to my second question. Why must we do this? Paul says we must keep doing this, ridding ourselves of such things, taking off our old self with its practices, putting on the new self, being renewed in knowledge and the image of Christ, because it leads us to this vision statement. So in Colossae AD 62, Paul writes, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul is saying that there will be no othering in this vision for Colossae. 
Gentile or a Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian. Scythian were a nomadic people that probably faced a lot of discrimination. Slave or free, obviously the slaves faced a lot of discrimination. Paul is not saying we're all the same, but he is saying that in our distinctiveness, Christ is all and is in all. I think this vision statement is the crux of these verses in Colossians. Now, I have to say, I acknowledge I'm a white person and a person of privilege, and who am I to uh, speak to this verse? I haven't experienced the trauma and the hurt and the powerlessness and the anger and the rage that comes from stigma and discrimination and racism and violence and colonialism and inequity. Who am I? I stand here before you humbly, seeking to understand what this verse means for us today. So I think that in Vancouver in 2022, Paul's vision statement might read something like, here there is no indigenous or non-indigenous, white or BIPOC, homeless or housed, citizen, refugee or incarcerated, LGBTQ2S or straight, but Christ is all, and is in all. So we're not all the same as each other, and the world very tragically has treated each of us and continues to treat each of us very differently from each other. But Paul says we have each died with Christ, we have been raised with Christ, and we are living with Christ in this new creation. We are being called to be rid of our old practices, our old ways of thinking and speaking and behaving, We are being called to take off our old self, our old clothes, and to put on a new self, our clean new clothes. Our new self is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of our creator. And in this new creation, in our differences, Christ is all and is in all. Eugene Peter's translation in the message is, from now on, everyone is defined by Christ, everyone is included in Christ. Dr. Ray Aldred would say in his words, We are able to do this, to foster peace in the space between us, honor and respect, because we have first experienced Christ's love. So in conclusion, we are called to be in reconciliation with each other as part of this new creation. We are being called to be rid of old practices, to take off our old self and to put on the new self, and this is our new identity in this new creation. So let us invite Christ to renew us, in the knowledge, in the image of our creator. Together, let us invite Christ to be in the space between us. Together, let us invite Christ to be our all. And together, let us invite Christ to be in our everything. Thank you.